Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat Survival Magazine. And do you think that you know your neighbors really well? Well, you probably do. But will they be the same neighbors that you know 7 to 10 days after a wide-scale crisis or collapse? Well, this week I take a hard look with my friend and survival expert, Kevin Reeve, into what you might see when you look out your window in the future. Now, let me save any hate mail right now from the audio quality complaint trolls out there. Kevin is one of the survivalists who walks the talk and lives in such a remote area that he has to travel in his car to a spot where he can get good enough reception just to be able to talk with us on a cell phone. So keep that in mind and focus on what's really important, the survival knowledge you're about to discover. Let's go ahead and get started. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Let's talk about fear. Not so long ago, people in the United States were so scared, they started screaming about closing the borders. They were so scared, they wanted private citizens imprisoned in their own homes or even herded into camps. They were so scared they were willing to cling to any amount of heavy-handed government control if it held the promise of making them safer. And in the end, if things had spiraled further out of control, even those government measures wouldn't have been enough to stop a collapse. I'm talking, of course, about the Ebola scare that started for most of us here in the United States around 2014. Now, for a while, Ebola was all anyone talked about, and the possibility of a pandemic creating a widespread collapse of social order and rule of law was very real. All it would have taken would have been some Ebola cases in our schools. With our kids in danger, it would have been all downhill from there. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But we came about as close to the flame as I think we've been in a while, and it could happen again without warning. But pandemic isn't the only thing that can trigger a societal collapse. A natural disaster, an economic crisis, civil unrest and rioting, all of these can cause society to break down. And we've seen every single one of these scenarios over the last years. And each time, we've walked right up to the brink of societal collapse before getting lucky. But how long can our luck hold out? And what happens when it doesn't? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And in order to discuss the very real possibility of a societal collapse and what you can expect when that happens, we brought back one of my favorite friends and guests, survival expert Kevin Reeve. Kevin, welcome back to the program, man. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yep. Now, listen, everybody, if, if you haven't checked out all the all the stuff that we've done with Kevin in the past, uh, Kevin is the founder and director of On Point Tactical, the leading provider of training in urban survival and escape and evasion. Now, On Point has trained many members of elite military groups, including U.S. Army Special Forces, U.S. Navy SEALs, MARSOC, Air Force Pararescue, Navy and Air Force SEER instructors, as well as members of law enforcement, such as DEA, U.S. Marshal Service, ICE, Secret Service, and the CIA, not to mention civilians as well. Now, in addition to urban skills, Kevin teaches wilderness survival, tracking, SEER, point man training, scout, and related skills. 
And prior to founding OnPoint Tactical, Kevin worked for one of the top tracking schools in America, and he spent eight years as a director at that program and was responsible for the instructor staff there. Now, he's also got TV and movie credits to his name, including the film The Hunted, History Channel's After Armageddon, National Geographic's When Aliens Attack. I haven't seen that one, but I've got, I've got to see that one. Um, <laughs> Court TV's Track Down the Chase, G4's Attack of the Show, and ABC News Nightline have all done profiles on Kevin and his school. Now, to learn more about Kevin and his training and to check out his course schedule, visit him online at www.onpointtactical.com. Now, Kevin, I've, I've been to your course. Um, it's it's an incredible insight into what can happen when things go wrong. And you and I have, have talked extensively about urban survival. And your Escape and Evasion course deals with the primary threat of people during a collapse. And it's it's constantly sold out. Now, I, I bet a lot of our listeners also have watched The Walking Dead. And if you've ever seen that show, forget about the zombie part of it just for a minute. I mean, it, it does a great job, I think, of illustrating that when society collapses, the biggest threat to you is always going to be other people who are willing to do almost anything that they need to in order to survive. So let me ask you this. What, what is it exactly about our human nature that makes people such a threat when things go bad? Well, the, the problem is that uh, in our cities especially, we have a large number of people and very limited resources. And the self-preservation instinct kicks in and you say to yourself, my child is hungry, I'll do whatever it takes to get food in his mouth. And so with limited resources and a large number of people, you're going to have conflict and probably on a fairly large scale. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about also is 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 that infrastructure. And what people, I think, don't realize is that I think they think there's an endless stream of stuff coming into a city. Like if everything were closed off, if you think about the siege concept of uh, of of a castle, in fact, ironically everything's going on right now in, in like game of thrones but you know cut off the supplies and you force people to basically turn on themselves and and get out of control and i think people never really realize that when when supplies are cut off to an area when there's when water is contaminated when there's even when there's no sanitation let alone food supply that that strains the infrastructure and the resources even more and, and that people have become become so dependent on. So I think that, um, you know, I, I think there's some real lessons here in in what people can expect to see. And I think, you know, you've written about what you consider to be the five stages of societal collapse, when things like that happen, when there is no infrastructure, when when the rule of law is out. So so let's talk about your, your five stages. I mean, what's the first phase that people can expect to experience after a wide-scale collapse is triggered? Well, if it's, a, if it's a natural disaster, you would expect to have a, a brief period of what we would call cooperation. It's just where everybody is working together to try and solve the problem. Um, you saw that after the tower collapse in, on 9-11, where everybody showed up to help. And, and that kind of thing can happen uh, depending on the nature of the collapse. One of the big factors that determines how long that lasts is... Uh, what we would call social cohesion of the group. If it's a tight-knit community, then you'd expect cooperation to continue for a while. But if it's a disparate community without high emotional IQ and, and not a lot of social cohesion, it'll, it'll 
digress into the third stage almost immediately. So it's kind of, you know, we, we usually see a progression of first, second, third, but sometimes it goes straight to third, and that's, uh, that's what we have to, have to look at. So first stage is cooperation. Everybody's working together, trying to solve the problem. Uh, and that usually in a, in a natural disaster, there's no relief, no possibility of relief. That would last 24 hours. And so, you know, the first stage is, is I have a couple of cases of water and we're out digging through the rubble trying to pull people out of a collapsed building. I'm passing out the water bottle. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cooperating. I'm part of the, I'm trying to be part of the solution. So that could, that could go for 24 hours. It might go longer if it's a very cohesive community. It's just, it's, you know, you have to look at your, your city and say, what, what are we like? A large city probably won't be very cohesive for very long. Yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense because I don't, I don't know if you and I have talked or not, but my community went through a, a huge disaster. It's been a year now where we lost lives. We had massive flooding, the worst flooding that we've had in history. And there was actually an extent, we were a very cohesive town and it, there was a lot of pulling together. Uh, people traveled from all around the country actually to help out, which which constrain resources as well. I mean, I think that people don't necessarily understand that, that you're not even just looking at your town. When people come in for that for that phase of cooperation to come help out, that strains lodging, it strains food supply, it, it, it actually strains a lot of things in people's goodwill. And um, so we saw that same thing. There was a lot of cooperation, and I think we got national attention because it lasted for so long, because it was managed so well. But I also saw things really deteriorate after um, after a period of time as well. I think we were kind of anomaly because I've seen other other disasters where almost immediately people start going into like kind of self preservation mode without that, right. that that level of cooperation. So it's interesting. But but here's you know I think and like you said we we saw this also with with September 11th. But um, how 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 does this go into the next phase of a collapse? I mean, after this cooperation phase and people get back into self-preservation, what are the dynamics that happen in the next in the next phase? Well, the second phase is is what is more kind of a suspicion, a wait and see phase, but it's a realization that we don't have any more resources coming in. So if there's a big collapse, there's nothing you know, nothing. There's no trucks on the highway. There's no trains on the tracks. What we have about around us immediately. So we, we call it a suspicion phase where I am, I'm less trustful. I'm less cooperative. Not necessarily I'm not working, but you know, yesterday I had two cases of water. Today I only have one. I better save that for myself. So we start kind of a, a, a mapping whatever resources we have for our own, for our own preservation. Now I'm not talking about going out and gathering. I'm just saying we start doing assessment of our own situation. So that's that period is about a 48-hour period, generally speaking. And if there's no uh, no relief in sight, uh, then then uh, we we have a saying that we're nine meals away from anarchy, and and that's about 72 hours. So after about 72 hours, uh, we'll start to see the transition into the third stage, and that's uh, that's that's what happens usually. Uh, at this point, we see the loss of the rule of law. In Hurricane Katrina, for example, a lot of the New Orleans PD went home to be with their families, which is what I 
But there's that left the city without rule of law, and, and we saw complete anarchy after that. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that suspicion phase is not, it's 24 to 48 hours, depending on the, again, the social cohesion. You might go straight into phase three. But, you know, we went, we go from full cooperation to, uh, maybe I better take care of my family first to now I'll do anything to take care of my family. Yeah, and I think people need to understand that these are natural human self-preservation instincts. It's not like people are out there thinking about survival. In fact, the problem is, is that most people aren't thinking about survival and self-preservation. They're not stockpiling things. They don't, they're not ready. But the cooperation phase, especially when people are dependent upon those supplies in that lifeline, they think, well, yeah, of course I'm going to give whatever I have. Of course, yes, here's some food. Yes, of course, here's some water and they're passing out water and things like that. But then, once they start to, to go for more water and they see that the shelves are bare or if they start seeing people looting and they try and call 911 and the response is, well, we have people down at City Hall because there's protests going on or whatever, um, I think, you know, it's that natural instinct that we have as humans right. starts to kick in. And um, and it's very unorganized when that happens, which is why I think we get to the next phase, which we're going to get into here in just a minute. Now, listen, everybody, we've been talking with Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com about what to expect to see when you look out your window at different phases of a collapse. Now, we have a lot more to get to, including real-world insights into anarchy and chaos that could threaten you and your loved ones when your fellow citizens freak out, how to survive when it's every man for himself, and why our civilized society isn't that far off from transforming into a remote African civil war with warlords, checkpoints, and terror. But first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com to discuss the different phases of societal collapse during a wide-scale crisis. Now, coming up next is where things get really interesting and scary, but knowledge is power, and it's important that you understand what to expect now in order to survive. So let's go ahead and jump back on our interview now. Well, Kevin, I think that the natural outcome of society's members coming into conflict and, and suspicion with each other 
has got to be what, what you call the anarchy phase or, or phase three in this. So what can we expect when things get to that point of anarchy? Well, what has happened now is resources are starting to dry up. In other words, the store shelves have been either cleared out or looted, and um, now everybody is out gathering or looking to find resources. If you don't have food for your family, you're going to go find food. And that's what's going on right now in Venezuela. There are It's a, it's a slower kind of movement into this, but uh, we're seeing that anarchy phase start to about evolve. Uh, you see the anarchy phase very frequently in war torn areas where uh, where there is no no supply chain where nothing's coming in. So without any resources, without any uh, access to goods and services, people will uh, resort to every man for himself in the anarchy phase where everybody is out trying to find the same thing. There's a lot of violence at this point. One person has something and somebody else wants it, they will injure or kill them to get it. Uh, this is a really ugly phase. It's not, it's not pretty at all. And as a result of that, it's wise to be prepared. You know, I mean, obviously, if I don't have to go out into that chaos to get food and water for my family, I'm going to be much safer, much better off than if I do. So, the anarchy phase happens in some societies right away. You, know, you can see, you can see that instantaneous breakdown as soon as the event occurs. Phase three starts, but in other places, it doesn't. Now the transition from from one phase, from phase two to phase three, is usually marked by a loss of the rule of law. Once law goes away, it becomes anarchy. And I ask this question. Frequently, and, and I'll ask it here. If you knew there was no punishment for anything you did, if you knew there were no repercussions, that you would not be held accountable in any way for your behavior, how would you behave? Most societies behave uh, well because they understand the, the necessity of all of us working together to survive. But when this kind of situation occurs and there's no rule of law, you can expect to see some very ugly, nasty, unbelievably brutal behavior. We see that now on the on the border with the uh, cartel. Unbelievable things are happening that the public in America has no idea about. You would not fathom the level of brutality that is, that is occurring with those uh, with those folks in, in uh, border towns. But, um, you know, that that descent into chaos has not occurred, for example, yet in Venezuela. We have few people getting killed and, and stores getting raided, but it's not on the same scale that I would expect uh, in a large American city like we saw in New Orleans. Yeah, and I, th- I think this is also, I mean, when you think about it, it's really a learned pattern also, right? Because, I mean, it could be shocking initially to people. But as you see more and more of these types of events happening in the anarchy phase, then I, I think that, one, people get desensitized to it. And I guess what I'll use as an example is, you know, we're seeing riots even right now during the political campaign. 
and people out in the streets and, you know, cars getting tipped over, stuff getting, we've seen Ferguson riots. We've seen all these, these different protests, what people do. You see it on the media. So we become mm-hmm. desensitized to some point of, of what we're seeing, like you expect it. And this is where I was saying, you know, sometimes you go, or, or like you were saying, sometimes you goes right from like stage one all the way into stage three. And I think that the more, the more you see these things happening and the more people get the perception of, well, this is what's going to happen. It's like, it's already in their framework. And I never see any of these people ever actually going off to jail. It looks like the police are there and people are throwing stuff and, and they don't, you know, nobody's going out there and putting handcuffs on the entire group. So it must be okay. And so I think that when a disaster or crisis does happen, people can already have it in their mind. Like, okay, I know what happens now, even if it's not, even if it's just subconscious, it's like, yeah, I've seen this before, or I've been through this before. Um, time to go grab right. my bricks or time to go. I, last time the, the store got looted and I got no food. So I'm not going to let that happen this time. I'm going down to the store to loot it, you know, before everybody else gets down there. So uh, I think that you, it's it's easier to jump from in between phases a lot faster when you've either experienced or seen these things repeated times. That's a really interesting point, and I hadn't considered that. But yeah, we are being conditioned in a lot of ways with the with the social unrest that we do see in, in Baltimore, Ferguson, and in LA and so forth. And you know, the that transition to the lawlessness occurs <laughs> once people realize that they have a, a huge advantage. Now LA County has ten million people, but they only have twenty two thousand sworn police officers in total. Everybody. All the locals, all the LAPD, that's twenty two thousand against ten million. It won't take long, even if the police is our police force still on the job, it won't take long for the citizens or, or the, the mobs, I shouldn't say citizens, for the mobs to realize they have a huge numerical advantage, even with the armament and so forth of the, of the uh, of law enforcement. And so, you know, if there is this strong desire to, to um, move into the anarchy phase, it will be very hard for anybody to stop that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, and I think that this phase is what most people think of when they picture like without rule of law scenario that I, I think they're, they're right. used to seeing this now, but what's the next phase of a crisis that, you know, once we've hit total anarchy, what comes next after this phase, given that it, we're looking at a cri- we're looking at a collapse now. We're not just looking at, you know, okay, we've got one city that's having riots and pro- protests against police, but we're talking about something, a more triggered event like, you know, pandemics or why, you know, something that's truly, put our area in a state of, of collapse? What comes after that? Well, after the anarchy phase, we start to see people realize that there's an economy of scale that is advantageous for them. So they start to form groups. Now, in some areas, those groups are already formed. I mentioned 10 million people in L.A. County and 22,000 police officers. There's also about 180,000 gang members. And the gangs are already organized. They have command structures. They have discipline. Some of them are military trained. So once people realize this economy of scale, like in that situation, then we will see what we call tribalism. People will join together to uh, take advantage of the economy of scale and uh, obtain resources through force of, 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 of a group of large numbers. 
And that's going to be, you know, if you're an individual in that situation, it's not going to be easy. This is kind of what happens to people when they go into a federal prison. Uh, if you're Hispanic, you have to join a Hispanic gang or you will die. If you're black, you have to join a black gang. If you're white, you have to join a white gang. Everybody has to belong to something or else because they don't stand a chance on their own. And that's the kind of mentality that I would expect to see in the tribal faith. Now, tribalism has, you know, there's a lot of ways of defining that. But, and this is, this is a, a comment about race that in a breakdown, I don't have the advantage of getting to know you decide whether you want to be part of my team or not, or whether I want you to be part of my team or not, I can only look at you from a distance and make a decision. And so typically what happens is that these um, these tribes form along cultural or racial lines. Sometimes it's uh, class. Social class will determine what tribe you belong to. But um, everybody joins a tribe. If you're not you are in the way of the tribe, and, and you'll be removed. So the tribal phase is, is actually a consolidation of power into fewer and fewer hands. And uh, that uh, that tribal phase is a, you know, it's, it's, this is where you will start to see people spread out from uh, their neighborhood into other neighborhoods to get resources. And if there's another tribe there to oppose them, then there'll be conflict. If not, then they'll overrun and overwhelm that neighborhood. So, you know, I think in this phase, if you are in this phase, it behooves you to have a community, have a group, because um, everybody else is going to. And if you are alone, you will be overrun. So, yeah, the tribal phase is a is a is an interesting uh, progression because People naturally want to belong to a group, and they want to belong to the strongest, biggest, winningest group. So uh, they will they will group up and join, and, and you know, try and be part of the winning team. Yeah, they may not they may not even like the people. They may not want to be associated with it, but you know, in reality, they they end up. It's kind of like again using the metaphor of living dead. You end up with who you end up with, and. Uh, how it works, you know, and we have lots of examples of this. So it is going to be an interesting time when when the when the uh, anarchy occurs, and this frequently occurs immediately in some places. You know, you'll see a, a, an event occur, and people immediately start looting. They immediately start forming groups, or the groups that they're already belonging to. I can tell you a quick story about that. We're uh, I had, a, I had a friend while Katrina was going on during the aftermath of Katrina came across a roadblock on a little neighborhood and sitting behind it were about five or six really old guys and they were standing there with M1 Grant. Now there was a couple of dead bodies about 50 feet back from the barricade and as these two police officers pulled up the uh, these guys put their guns down and raised their hands and they said Please don't take our guns. And the cop didn't think. He said, who are you? What, what's going on? He said, well, we live in this in this neighborhood. We all belong to the BSW. We're free in war bed. And these guys had formed a, a, a self-protection group, gotten their little grands out, and they forgot their grants out, and stood guard on the neighborhood. 
all in their 70s and 80s. And I thought, well, there's a great example of a little track that formed up. And, uh, you know, they, they said, please don't take our guns. And the cop said, what do you need, 30 out six? We'll go get you a case. <laughs> and they came, they came back with a case of ammo. Wow. So I thought it was such a great story. But it, it totally illustrates what I'm talking about. Who, who, were, who were the guys that formed up? What was, you know, a half dozen guys from the U.S. DSW that had that in common? Tracks will form a whole bunch of different ways and uh, in different settings. And, you know, it, 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 it's really going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So look for the look for the tribalism uh, after the rule of law is lost. Yeah. Well, where does that all lead us? I and mean, when, when society collapses because of some trigger event, we, we, progress from, we progress from cooperating with each other, to being suspicious and, and, and going into self-preservation mode, to going into anarchy and disorder. And then there's a breakdown into kind of this, this feudal tribalism. I mean, what's left? Where, do, where does it take us at, at, after that point? Right. Well, we have a couple of options here. At this point, it's going to go one of two ways. One is someone's going to come in and restore order, a government force of some sort. Now, we may not like them, but they're going to come in and say, and, and they're going to they're going to restore order. Uh, but uh, the other option is that the groups form together and uh, create just make uh, they form together and create a uh, a situation that we would call the, the the warlords, where the groups consolidate together. More and more consolidation of power into a central control, which is what happened in Mogadishu after the after the conflict there. The Mogadishians formed together and uh, into different tribes, and the tribes formed together under a warlord. And so uh, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. The difference is most of the time in the tribal phase, you join by choice. In the warlord phase, you just get swept into this. In the warlord phase, you get swept into this camp. Um, so warlord, whether you want to want to or not. So uh, it's a and, and this this is probably not a really good phase to be in because the the warlord will rule with an iron fist, and uh, there will not be not be any civil rights. There will not be any ability for you to, to deal with any of that. Yeah. Well. Um... Well, those are all happy things to, to look forward to. I think. Yeah, so. I mean, at some point, any point along that trail, any point along that those phases, you could see a restoration of order. You know, you could see the National Guard show up and restore order. Hope so. Uh, and if it's nationwide, then you know, a lot of people theorize that we'll break into um, Balkan-like states where everybody everybody's tribe is independent. Of the national order, there's no more union. It's it's uh, California, Washington, and and Oregon together, and the Midwest is a, is a Balkan. The uh, we have. Uh, I'm not sure you're familiar with the Southeast, the Northeast, the the Intermountain West, all forming sort of independent nations. If you look back in history, the formation of the city states like Sparta led to the formation of nations. And so it probably would be somewhat similar to that. 
nothing to restore order or no one. But usually a strong leader emerges and people group and follow under his banner and we see a restoration of order of some sort, whether good or bad. Yeah, it's that good or bad thing that always gets kind of, you know, up in the air because I think what people find, especially if you've gone through an anarchy phase and you've gone through total disorder, unfortunately, I think what we've seen ever since we were sitting around the campfire in leopard skin thongs outside the cave, it's the it's the strongest, the one that people fear the most oftentimes becomes the one who has the power. We see that over in the Middle East, you know, we've seen dictators, I mean, Dictators weren't the guys that came in because they handed out the most flowers. They were dictators and they took control because everybody was scared shitless of them and what they could do. Yeah, just absolutely brutal. Brutal and and, and quick to enforce. Yeah, yeah. And and even your analogies of like a prison system, it's it's not the nicest guy on cell block C that ends up taking control of the the gangs inside, you know. So – so again, right, not all, right. yeah, not all happy things to uh, think. But, but again, I think that, you know, the real thing here is, is knowledge is power. Again, I keep going back to that. So everybody out yeah. there, I mean, look, like we've said before on this, it's that if this is a shock to you because it's the first time and you're going through it, well, you're already behind the eight ball because as Kevin said, there, there are gangs that are already organized. They've, they already know what to do when there's no rule of law because they basically live their lives trying to escape rule of law, and they know all the little shortcuts and the places to go and how to victimize people. And so just right. understanding what it is that you are going to see when you look out your window is a big part of it, but it's the other elements of it and how you deal with it and how you prepare now instead of just trying to figure it out later on, that's going to make the, the difference potentially between life or death when something happens. And so um, I highly recommend you go and check out Kevin's website. It's, again, at onpointtactical.com. He's got a, a very aggressive training schedule there, and he travels all across the country to put on these type of events, including the number one seller, which is the the Urban Escape and Evasion course, which which I've personally been through, and it's um, it's unlike anything you'll ever experience with, with training. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I, re- I remember you, you being there. Yeah. Uh, we were doing some unusual things that day, and Hey, so what, one quick note before we break. And yeah. That is the three things I strongly recommend. First of all, store food and water so you don't have to go out and fight for resources. Two, train yourself and learn how to protect yourself and obtain whatever is necessary for you to do that. You know, that's, that's really important. And then third, form a community ahead of schedule, ahead of, ahead of the anarchy phase or the tribal phase so that you have the economy of scale already. You have that group that can mutually protect one another. Uh, and those three things will, will go a long way to alleviating the uh, issues that will occur when a society breaks down. And so, you know, get training. Don't, don't assume that you will rise to the occasion. As Dave Grossman says over and over, you won't rise to the occasion. You'll sink to your level of training. So all of those things, I think, are very important to uh, establishing a pathway to survival. Yeah, good points and a great way to end. Awesome. Listen, everybody, go check out uh, Kevin's website and his training schedule. Again, it's onpointtactical.com. And this is Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. 
ultimate modern combat and survival. survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash modern combat and survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>